Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. but We all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the Burner Less Lethal Pistol Launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. If you're like me and suffer from insomnia, you know what? That's not fun. You know, I tried everything. I couldn't get a good night's sleep. And this is neither drug nor alcohol induced. That's right. It is my pillow. Mike Lindell invented it. And he fitted me for my first my pillow. And it's changed my life. I fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer. And the good news, you can too. Just go to MyPillow.com, promo code Sean, and take advantage of one of Mike Lindell's best offers, his special four-pack. You get 50% off two MyPillow premium pillows to go anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow's made in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee, no risk to you, and a 10-year warranty. You don't want to spend more sleepless nights on a pillow tossing and turning that's not working for you. Just go to MyPillow.com right now, use the promo code Sean, and you get Mike Lindell's special four-pack. You get two MyPillow premium pillows, two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off, and you'll start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep-healing and recuperative sleep you've been craving and deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Sean. Well, you want to keep America great? You want to stop the Democrats from what their plan is? Investigation, 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 impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. That's what you're going to get if you don't get your ass out of your bed and out of your car and get into a voting booth come this all-important midterm election in 71 days. Uh, It is getting more fierce, more tense, more angry, more insane than I've ever seen it. And the stakes could not be any higher. There's so much at stake in this midterm election. Uh, All right, we have a lot going on today. We have the president coming up with a United States-Mexico trade deal terminating NAFTA. We have the details. And, yeah, if you don't negotiate better deals, you can't get better deals. If you don't say to our partners, our allies in Europe, that we want a better trade deal, one with reciprocity, you're never going to get one. And the fact that they complain that they've had it so good for so many years, 
shouldn't bother us. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable. You know, I don't know. I live my life in a state of negotiation. So does the president. If you don't say in a forceful way that you've been treating the United States unfairly, now there's a new sheriff in town. Now we want a better deal. What do you think? They're just going to wake up in the morning and say, we're going to give America more money. We're not going to put tariffs on their products coming into our country. Um, We're just going to leave it the way. Of course, they want to leave it the way it is. Just like NATO wants us to bear the burden of 72 cents of every dollar that they spend to defend our allies in Europe. You know, why can't things change? Why do we take it all the time? Well, finally, now the president is doing something about it. Anyway, the president uh, terminates uh, the existing deal as it relates to NAFTA, announces a new tentative agreement with the United States and Mexico, one of the largest trade deals ever, says I'll be terminating the existing deal going into this deal, he said. It's big day for trade. He said we'll see if Canada can still be a part of the trade pact. He said we're starting negotiations with Canada pretty much immediately. And you know what? That's good for America. It's good for American jobs. It's good for the American economy. You know, somebody at some point, when do we start looking out for, you know, those people, forgotten men and women that were so important just two short years ago in that election? Now, by the way, the president promised to do this. It's another promise made. It's another promise kept. And finally, we're turning the page on what has been unfair trade deals that sacrificed a lot of the prosperity of our working men and women the manufacturing jobs that Obama said were never coming back. Anyway, so they have a preliminary U.S.-Mexico trade deal modernizing, rebalancing the trade relationship that reflect the realities of the 21st century, and it is a win-win deal. It's a win for North American farmers and ranchers and workers and businesses, as the president has gone on to say. And the preliminary agreement will benefit American workers, manufacturing, agriculture, the new rule of origin requirements to incentivize billions a year in vehicle and automotive parts production in the United States, supporting high wage jobs for Americans. And it is fully enforceable as it relates to labor standards in any trade agreement and new commitments to reduce trade Uh, distorting policies as it relates to American agricultural goods, improvements that enable food and agriculture to trade more fairly, and intellectual property protections, the strongest disciplines on digital trade of any international agreement. A lot of transparency that goes forth with this agreement. So the president is basically keeping a promise that he made, which is good for all of us. You know, for all those people that don't want you know, a trade deal may, may why? Because you want cheap labor. You want things the way they are. You know, we got to look at every American. How do these deals impact every American? You know, deals that put high tariffs on specific industries are not good for American farmers. It's not good for American steel. It's not good for American car manufacturers. And, you know, now when you add with this the president's tax cuts, you add to that the the eliminating of needless and burdensome government regulation. We're now creating in America a business-friendly environment. And when you do that and you incentivize companies to spend money here on factories, on manufacturing centers, that's great for the American economy. And that's great for the creation of, of jobs so that Americans can... 
prosper and get their house in a nice neighborhood and have a safe car and a new car and a vacation and take their kids to Disney. It's going to be horrible morning ahead of time. You know, and all the, oh, you're looking at me. You wait till you go to Disney. Oh, you're going to take Liam to Disney. Liam is going to go to Disney. It's how old is he now? He's almost three, right? He just turned three. Okay. Liam's three years old. Liam is going like every other kid. He's going to want to go see Mickey Mouse. My son Patrick was like three or four. He assaulted Winnie the Pooh. He would not let that Pooh bear go. And every time the guy turned, the Pooh t- person turned around like, oh, God, kid, get out of here. He would not leave Winnie the Pooh. And somewhere I've got it on video, someplace. Uh, but they're going to want to go, and you're going to wait the 1,400 hours to get on Dumbo. And then when they're older, they're going to want to go back because then they want to go to all the big rides that they couldn't do when they were young. And if they're like my son, he's like, you know, there's not a roller coaster that's been made that he doesn't want to sit in the front row of. Again and again, it's, you know, the first year where he was allowed on Space Mountain. Again, let's do it again, again. And you go out, you go right back in, wait again. And you go out and go right back in, do it again. Yeah, I'm in trouble because I can't do rides. I get very, very sick. Well, suck it up. You might as well just bring. It's going to be doggy bag day. You could bring a bring a brown bag with you. You know, maybe take a little Prevacid or, several. or Tums. You know, whatever you need. Motion sickness. And whatever you do, don't go to it's a small world. Do never go in. Don't go even near that place. What is that? Because you will sing that dopey song for 500 weeks and counting. It is a trick for parents. It's like some type of uh, mind control marketing technique. You can't get rid of the dumb song in your head. Anyway, but every kid, but every parent should want to take their kids to Disney. They should have that. Um, with 71 days to go, we've got a lot of uh, campaign news. We've got a lot of deep state news today that we're going to get to. Tomorrow, Bruce Orr is going to be testifying. Um as it relates to his relationship with Christopher Steele. Now, we've learned a lot since Bruce Orr has been back up there. Bruce Orr, his wife Nellie, working for Fusion GPS. <laughs> so, but by the way, he didn't disclose any of that to anybody. The, if you look at the emails, the text messages, and the multiple times they've all met together or in communication with Steele, it is pretty incredible how worried Christopher Steele is and was that he'd be found out by Congress and exposed, even used the words he was afraid of being exposed. Remember, before Comey testified, he talked about, I hope the firewalls hold. What firewalls? What did any of that mean? Anyway, we know that we have reported that he's continuing to try to provide anti-Trump information even after he was fired from the FBI, and he was using Bruce Orr to get to the FBI and Robert Mueller. And by the way, he doesn't even stand by his own dossier. But they were making strong efforts to disseminate that information to influence American voters in the lead up to 2016 in November. And they were trying to get the dirty dossier out throughout the media, which they were pretty successful at. And then, of course, it was used as the basis for four FISA warrant applications, even though when he had to testify in Great Britain about his own dossier, he said, oh, no, no, I don't I can't confirm any of this. This is just raw intelligence. We don't know anything about anything. Uh, no, it's fair, maybe 50-50 or something like that, but I don't know if any of this is true. Well, if you don't know it's true, then why would you say it's true? Why did you print it as true? Why did you disseminate it to people so you can mislead the American people in the lead-up to an election? Remember, he was afraid of Grassley's 
letter and inquiry that it would implicate him. And Steele appeared frantic that Comey's congressional testimony might expose uh, him as well. You know, are the firewalls going to hold? I don't want to get exposed. And Steele's worried about the Senate Intel Committee, you know, saying we're frustrated with how long the reengagement with the Bureau is going and Mueller is uh, taking. Oh, well, so he wanted to get his false information, the information he can't corroborate himself into the hands of Robert Mueller. And he's telling Bruce Orr, anything you can do to accelerate the process would be much appreciated. There is some new perishable operational opportunities which we don't want to miss out on. Well, that was in June of 2017. In October of the same year, just saw a story in the media about the Bureau handing over documents to Congress about my work and relationship with them. Very concerned about this. People's lives may be endangered. What, people that were up to no good? People that were trying to influence the election with your lies? I'd like to get to the bottom of all. I know it has nothing to do with taxicab medallions. I know it doesn't have to do with bank loan applications. I know it doesn't have to do with tax returns. So maybe we can get back to real Russia collusion and the Russian lies that were bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton and the DNC funneled through a law firm, hiring Fusion GPS, hiring a foreign national, puts together a dossier, that dossier used to purposely lie to the American people and propagandize and and misinform them before an election, before they go into the voting booth, and becomes the basis of a FISA warrant because nobody dared to verify or corroborate anything in this. You know, Steele saying, well, I just saw a story about the media and, and documents handed over to Congress. And uh, Steele saying, we were wondering if there's any response to the questions I raised last week. And Orr saying, I passed the questions, apparently to Mueller, but haven't gotten an answer yet. And then Steele says, well, I'm presuming you've heard nothing back from your special counsel colleagues on the issues you kindly put to them from me. Okay, he was fired for lying. He was fired for leaking. He doesn't even stand by his own dossier under oath in Great Britain. And he's funneling this propaganda that Hillary paid for to Robert Mueller. Does anybody see how wrong all of this is? To say this is disappointing, he says, would be an understatement. Certain people have been willing to risk everything to engage with them in an effort to help them reach the truth. What, the truth about your lying dossier? Provably false now on so many fronts. Last week, everything we learned that he said about Michael Cohn was not true. Michael Cohn was never in Prague, but he still, he handed it, disseminated it, and tried to lie to the American people so he could swing an election. And Hillary paid for the whole bit of Russian lies. Also remain in the dark as to what work has been briefed to Congress about us, our assets, and previous work. Unbelievable. And we paid this guy 11 checks. He got paid 11 times by the FBI. Unbelievable. With only a kite, a house key, and wet hemp string, Benjamin Franklin captured lightning in a bottle. Over 260 years later, with a little resourcefulness, ingenuity, and grit, we're not only capturing energy from the sun and wind, we're storing it, ensuring Americans have the energy they need whenever they need it. Learn more about the nation's leader in energy storage at nextaraenergy.com. 
All right, as we roll along, 71 days till Election Day, 800-941-SEAN. By the way, Democrats and strategists getting very worried about Democratic Senator Bill Nelson, that he's choking in his bid to defend uh, off a challenge from Florida Governor Rick Scott. Rick Scott has done an amazing job as governor. And anyway, privately, a number of uh, Democratic senators have been offering their unsolicited view that Nelson is in for reckoning on Election Day, uh, which would be a big pickup for the Republicans. And, you know, Nelson is a classic old school senator, swamp creature. And um, anyway, and, you know, he's vastly outspent. There's concern in Florida. The National Party might have to cut him loose if a loss looks like a certainty. And the market being as expensive as it is, it's been a month since Nelson led in any public poll, private polling, even surveys conducted by Democrats also showed Nelson behind Scott. You know, we are getting a blueprint, though, emerging and detailing what the Democratic plans would be to destroy President Trump if they get elected, if they don't hold the House of Representatives. What do they want to do? They want to have hearings. Isn't it amazing? They want their crumbs back. They want to keep Obamacare. They want open borders. They want to impeach the president. And they don't want the deep state pals of theirs to be exposed. But no, 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 that's not even enough. Then they want to investigate the president's tax returns, the Trump family businesses, every one of them. Uh, Here we go. Trump's dealings with Russia. Really? Including his preparation for meeting with Putin. The, you know, Stormy Daniels, James Comey's firing, the firing of some U.S. attorneys, which he has every right to replace. The, uh, Trump's proposed transgender ban for the military, Steve Mnuchin's business dealings, White House staff's personal email use, cabinet secretary travel expenses and perks, discussions of classified information at Mar-a-Lago. They want to go after Jared and Ivanka, dismissal of members of the EPA Board of Scientific Counselors. They want to go after the travel ban, family separation policy, hurricane response in Puerto Rico, election and hacking attempts, White House security clearances. Let me just, of that whole list, name one thing, one, that is going to do a thing to help the American people or advance the interests of this country. It's all politics for them. It's all the politics of personal destruction. It's all smear, slander, destroy. It's basically all things Democrat. 71 days, that's the agenda. 71 days, if you don't vote, you're going to get the House of Representatives you deserve. 71 days, you want your cr- you want to give your crumbs back, want to keep Obamacare, want open borders, you want the president impeached for nothing. That's what you get from the Democrats. All right, 71 days till Election Day. L.A. Times has a piece with their decision over the weekend to limit the role that is played by superdelegates in their presidential primaries in the Democratic Party, they may have just guaranteed President Trump a second term in office. In other words, we know now that Bernie Sanders was cheated, that the fix was in, that the primary was rigged. To be a joke, I cannot believe this is happening. I'm literally about to kill myself, and I'm not kidding. You better fix this right now. I literally am going to die. I need an ambulance. Uh, scary. Scary. Um, But anyway, so they did steal the primary. 
the whole thing about the steel dossier that Hillary paid for and used DNC money because she was controlling it. Donna Brazil even said it. She regretted and she dreaded making the call to Bernie Sanders. Yeah, you were cheated. Yeah, they totally screwed you. They stole it. We saw it coming. They did it. It's the same thing in the general election. You know, the whole idea that she's paying for a document by a foreign national, he put it together by sneaking the money through a law firm to a op research group. And then the Russian context, he doesn't even believe his own dossier. And this is why the hearings with Bruce Orr are so important tomorrow. Because Bruce Orr was his connection to Robert Mueller. Here's a question. Did Robert Mueller ever get any information from Bruce Orr sent through Christopher Steele? Did Robert Mueller ever talk to Christopher Steele? A lot of questions for him and his team. You know, Democrats... um, we're now seeing that, anyway, the L.A. Times had a move aimed at getting past the acrimony from the 2016 presidential primary and unifying the party. The DNC voted on Saturday to dramatically reduce the role of superdelegates in choosing their presidential nominee. Well, that was Hillary Clinton's safety net. That was her backstop. That was her guarantee that she was never going to lose. Anyway, they met in Chicago. DNC representatives voted overwhelmingly to dilute the power of the superdelegates Party bosses and other insiders traditionally given considerable weight in the nominating process. Now, the push for reform was driven by backers of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who rightly complained that the superdelegate system helped rig the primary election in favor of Hillary Clinton, who had the support of most of the superdelegates. While those delegates were ultimately, not ultimately, the key to Clinton winning the nomination, bitterness over the party rules has persisted. And Saturday's vote was a victory for the left wing of the party, which demanded a more Democratic nominating process. We voted today to return power to the grassroots, said the DNC chairman, writing on Twitter. Our North Star from the beginning of the process has been to grow our party, unite our party, earn voters trust. Well, then if if they get power, then by the way, this list that I was mentioning of what the Democrat, the spreadsheet which originated in senior House Republican office, you know, more than 100 formal requests from House Democrats, this Congress spanning nearly every committee. That's all they want to do. There's no agenda to make this country a better place. They just want to stop Trump, hate Trump, stop Trump. Trump's tax returns, Trump's family businesses, you know, uh, we'll deal more with Russia as if we haven't had enough Russia for two years. You know, Stormy Daniels firing Comey, firing U.S. attorneys, Steve Mnuchin's business dealings, White House staff's personal email. They want to go into everything. There's nothing, though, that's proposed that's going to make the country a better place. They still want their crumbs back. They describe the tax cuts as crumbs, but they definitely want them back. Nancy Pelosi has said it. Elizabeth Warren has said it. And they, we know they can't stand tax cuts. And if it's so good, what did the Obama economy do for us in eight long years? I love people in the Democratic Party. No, Trump's economy is good because of Obama. I'm like, you can't be that insane if you believe that. Anyway, the president also released his list for endorsements for Tuesday's primaries. He's supporting Governor Rick Scott in his primary race uh, for the Senate to take on Bill Nelson also signaled his support for Ron DeSantis, who I think would be a great governor for the state of Florida. I also agree with that. And uh, let's see, he's also supporting Arizona Governor Doug 
uh, Ducey's platform ahead of the primary. And, um, oh, by the way, so we have a new trade deal. It's now the stock market has been going through the roof and smashing records as soon as it was announced. We could have a separate deal or we could put it into this deal. I like to call this deal the United States-Mexico Trade Agreement. I think it's an elegant name. I think NAFTA has a lot of bad connotations for the United States because it was a ripoff. There was a deal that was a horrible deal for our country. And uh, I think it's got a lot of bad connotations to a lot of people. All right, so and the president so is will... fixing the bad trade deal with Mexico. And he can have bilateral talks with Canada. I think it's in our best interest to get along with Canada. Uh, but uh, Pat Leahy's excluding Canada, NAFTA won't pass the Senate. I mean, the only way it passed the last time was because Canada was part of it. Well, if November this gets voted on now, I would argue it's probably going to pass the Senate. And But if that's what their agenda is, you got to ask yourself, is that the America you want to live in for the next two years? One of investigation and impeachment. And no work gets done to help the American people. None. Has anybody thought for a minute the impact that this is going to have on the economy? The impact that, you know, it'll have on the agenda the American people voted for. Here's a little side note that was interesting that I saw over the weekend when it comes to uh, people with conflicts of interest, especially in politically charged investigations. It's kind of hard to beat Rod Rosenstein. He recommended firing Gomi. He appointed Mueller. He also signed the FISA warrants. Well, the last FISA warrant, which, you know, the bulk of information was the phony steel dossier that nobody verified. Anyway, he wrote the legal opinion in, in all these cases. And, you know, he would be witness number one if it relate, as it relates to anything James Comey. You have other conflicts of interest. Michael Goodwin pointed out that Rod Rosenstein ordered the U.S. attorney in charge of the Michael Cohn investigation to recuse himself because he was appointed by President Trump. Anyway, in the long slog to unseat the president, he's up to his eyeballs and everything, Trump. Something there. I don't have it all yet, but it's becoming very clear there's a reason that they don't want to release the unredacted fourth FISA warrant and the gang of aid information and the 302s. We want to get to the, we want to get to the bottom of what's really going on. That would be a good way to start. Um, what else do we have here today? Oh, this is pretty well. Let me say about Senator McCain. I know. Um, um, I look. I had plenty of political disagreements with Senator McCain. I don't regret for a minute, not for a second. I got to know him, his wife Cindy, and Megan McCain. She was a colleague for a period of time at Fox and even on Premier Radio Networks with me, and uh, I get to see her time to time. Lovely family, lovely people. I just disagreed with Senator McCain on some substance. Um, and he was a war hero. He, this guy, spent five years in a prisoner of war camp, having his bones broken and every other horrific thing happened to him. And he suffered in, in a way that I don't think anyone of us can ever imagine. And for that, the American people are always in Senator McCain's debt. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family. And I just, you know... I, to me, it's like at a moment like this, you just thank them for the good in their lives. Forget that, you know, we had political disagreements. I never took it personally. He knew, he knew we'd, where we disagreed, and we'd have passionate debates over the years on radio and TV. And, um, but it, never, it I never, never was personal for me. Even when he said, remember he came back from 
his illness and the I think it was during the time of the health care vote. And he said, to hell with these people on cable and talk radio, which is quintessential John McCain. And I admire him for it. He's being honest. You know, just like he didn't like President Trump. President Trump doesn't like him. People don't have to like each other in this life. No, there's no law that says you've got to like everybody. You don't. Anyway, I think um, he did a lot of great good things for his country. He deserves so much credit for that. I thought Megan McCain's statement on her father's passing was particularly a beautiful thing uh, for a daughter to a father. And um, I guess it's going to he's decided that he's gonna, not going to be buried at Arlington, but at Annapolis. Um, anyway, it's a tough time for his family. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all of them. The FBI suspected agents an FBI agent suspected that. Hillary's deleted emails were on Anthony Weiner's laptop. You know, disgraced FBI director James Comey, he closed the investigation into the Clinton emails found on Anthony Weiner's laptop before agents could examine 99% of those emails, according to Paul Sperry at Real Clear Investigations. And Comey's decision to shortcut the Weiner laptop investigation came despite the FBI's suspicion that those unexamined emails contained the entire Clinton email archive including the email she deleted from other devices with bleach pit. Comey's agents, one of whom was Peter Strzok, examined only 3,000 of the 694,000 emails found on Wiener's laptop, which is less than one half of 1% of the total number of Hillary emails that were on that device. And the Wiener laptop investigation was shut down despite that fact. In the 3,000 emails that the FBI had examined, they found more classified emails than they had during the FBI's entire year-long Hillary investigation that Comey closed in July of 2016. You know, it's getting, you know, all of this keeps coming out. And the question is when, I know it doesn't have to deal with taxis or, or tax returns or loan applications, uh, but this is, you know, about national security. And, you know, investigators, you know, managed over the course of one week to read the hundreds of thousands of emails never, never made any sense. And Comey later told Congress that thanks to the wizardry of our technology, the FBI was able to eliminate the vast majority of messages and duplicates of emails they'd previously seen. In fact, a technical glitch prevented FBI technicians from accurately comparing the new emails we now find out. Only 3,000 of the nearly 700,000 emails were directly reviewed for classified incriminating information. One career FBI special agent involved in the case complained to New York colleagues that officials in Washington were trying to bury the treasure trove of evidence, which he believed contained the full archive of Clinton emails, including those that she deleted. And most of the emails were never examined, even though they made up potentially 10 times the evidence of what was reviewed in the original year-long case that Comey closed in Ju- July of 2016. It's unbelievable. By the way, you have a pro-democratic firm now admitting that Trump's approval rating is remarkably stable, despite, quote, Russiagate bombshells about taxes and taxicabs and loan applications. Anyway, uh, that's a pretty interesting sign. Lanny Davis now is in full retreat on allegations that spark Democrats and impeachment uh, fever last week. Remember the media last full blown over the top, you know, all impeachment all the time sparked literally by Michael Cohn's plea deal and his attorney, Lanny Davis. 
Turns out Lanny wasn't exactly being truthful and honest the last few days, and uh, he's been out admitting that he made the whole thing up. Now, if Democrats aren't angry about this, you should be. And, you know, why, for example, would anyone say as a lawyer, oh, my client would never accept a pardon? Well, obviously, he's not facing five years in jail. I mean, you know, viewers, I'd, I'd beg Obama for five years for a pardon if I had to. Good grief. This just makes no sense. Anyway, the Washington Post reports Sunday that Davis, in an interview, says he's no longer certain about claims that he made to reporters on background and on the record in recent weeks about what Cohn knew about Trump's awareness of Russian efforts. And he said he couldn't confirm media reports that Cohn is prepared to tell the special counsel that Trump had advanced knowledge of the 2016 Trump Tower meeting. That was the whole, you know, insanity of impeachment all last week. CNN reported in July that Cohn claimed to have witnessed Trump appearing, approving the meeting at Trump Tower. Well, the day after CNN's report, Washington Post, using anonymous sources, now admit that it was Lanny Davis that peddled the same story that Cohn had told the associates he had witnessed an exchange with Trump Jr. telling his father about that meeting. I should be more clear, he says, including with you, that I could not independently confirm what had happened. I regret my error. Kind of a big error. It's kind of like all we heard last week. There's another, I'll get into this later, but there's a, a, a D.C. judge is about to render a decision on a decades-old criminal case, and the decision might end up blowing Robert Mueller's investigation out of the water. We're watching that closely for you. We'll get into more details as we have time. All right, as we continue, 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the program. Sarah Carter and Sean Bigley join us next as we have an investigative report from Sarah. Now, this is going to be, it's a little complicated but it's really important and necessary and interesting. You got to understand here because Bigley represents Adam Lovinger, who lost his security clearance after Stefan Halper complained about him. Well, now we have apparently they've gotten internal documents and all they show is this guy Halper was doing the bidding of the deep state and they've got the evidence to prove it. So sit tight, buckle up. We'll continue to do news that you won't get from the mainstream media ever. As they always talk about impeaching Trump 24-7, hating Trump 24-7. An election in 71 days. Your vote's going to matter more than ever. We'll continue. Right now, hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. It's 800-941-SEAN if you want to join us. Um, there is an investigation uh, by our good friend Sarah Carter. And we've linked it to Hannity.com. She has her website, SarahACarter.com. But revealing that the documents and information, remember this this issue we brought up last week about Adam Lovinger. And it's a guy that, oh, he lost his security clearance after Stefan Helper complained about him. Um, anyway, so long story short, there are new documents and information that Lovinger um, had, had stumbled upon and other documents that she has been able to obtain, raising really troubling questions about Stefan Helper, who was believed to have worked with the CIA and and part of the matrix of players in the Bureau's crossfire hurricane investigation into the Trump campaign. And Halper, who assisted the FBI in the Russia investigation, appears to have significant ties, we're finding, to the Russian government, as well as a source connected directly to Vladimir Putin. Now, when Mr. Lovinger raised concerns about the DOD's misuse of Stefan Halper in 2016, he did so with 
without any political designs whatsoever or any knowledge of Mr. Halper's spying activities. And Sean Bigley is a, a partner specializing in federal security clearance defense, representing Adam Lovinger. In this article that Sarah uh, has now just released, Mr. Lovinger simply did what all Americans should expect of our civil servants. He reported violations of the law and a gross waste of public funds to his superiors. And yet we were puzzled to, you know, find the ferocity of efforts to discredit Mr. Lovinger, who's just trying to be a whistleblower and tell the truth. And then on top of it, there were leaks from the DOD of false and and defamatory uh, information to the press. And anyway, so Sean Bigley assumed that the other contractor about who Lovinger explicitly raised questions, a close confidant of Hillary Clinton, was the reason for the sustained assault on Mr. Lovinger. And that certainly may have played a role. But it was more than the Clinton-connected contacts suspected Bigley, who added, Mr. Lovinger unwittingly shined a spotlight on the deep state secret weapon, which was Stefan Halper, who threatened to expose the truth about Trump-Russia collusion narrative, then being plotted that it was all a setup. All right, uh, joining us now with more, we're going to fill in the blanks and the details to all of this. Sarah Carter, investigative reporter and uh, Fox News contributor, Sean Bigley is with us, and uh, he specializes in federal security clearance defense, representing Adam Lovinger. Thank you both for being with us. Look, it gets a little more complicated. I'm just giving some of the highlights, Sarah. Why don't you you really break this down, but very slowly, because it gets a little complicated. So, this is how this plays out, and I'm sure um, Sean Bigley will be able to explain a lot of his uh, client, uh, the circumstances that surrounded his client, Adam Levenger, who is a former Defense Department analyst. Um, he became a whistleblower. He basically internally complained about some contracts that he stumbled on, and at the time, uh, he had no idea who Stefan Halper was. He just knew that it was this professor, this Cambridge guy, who was getting this exorbitant amount of money for basically writing some analysis for the defense, the, the defense Department on foreign policy issues. Um, so he complains about that. He complains about another contract that was uh, connected to a person that was very close to Chelsea Clinton. By the way, we should say the- it was roughly a million dollars in taxpayer-funded funded money. Absolutely, Sean. So this is over a million dollars in taxpayer-funded um, financing for some reports, reports basically that he himself did not fully write. He contracted out foreign officials and others. Let's go back to George Papadopoulos. He got wrapped up in Stefan Halper's mess when Stefan Halper actually reached out to him and asked him to help write some foreign policy reports that he was basically compiling together and then turning in as his own. Um, So over $1 million received for this. This is very concerning because it doesn't match other contracts. People do not get paid this much money. And when you look at the look at this as a whole, when you look at the amount of writing that he actually did himself, it would be like getting paid $2,000 a page. $2,000 a page for writing, some of which he didn't even do himself. But we also know that Halper assisted the FBI in the Russia investigation, 
and he has ties to the Russian government, and you believe Vladimir Putin himself? Yes, absolutely, to people directly connected with Vladimir Putin. We know this only because we've been able to obtain, and this is, you know, through various documentation, his course syllabi for the Cambridge uh, uh, Intelligence Seminar that he was holding. Uh, And he held those seminars from uh, 2012 up until 2016. Um, And one of the 2012 uh, seminar uh, uh, course syllabi that we have shows that he brought to teach alongside him the former head of Russian intelligence. I mean, this is Trubnikov. Trubnikov um, is was the top of the Russia's intelligence service from 1996 through 2000. He was um, appointed uh, first deputy foreign minister from 2000 to 2004. And uh, in 2004, he was appointed by President Putin to, as to the ambassador of Russia. But let's just go back one step before we go any further. At the point in time when Adam Lovinger was discovering these contracts, he had no clue as to who Stephen ha- Stefan Halper was. He had no idea really up until recently, and you can talk to Sean Bigley about this, um, that Stefan Halper was even involved uh, in this Russia collusion until it came out into the news. They had no idea that he was being utilized by the FBI to basically gather information on Carter Page and uh, George Papadopoulos. And ironically, here's Stefan Halper trying to accuse Carter Page or trying to accuse George Papadopoulos of having these connections with Russia when it's Stefan Halper himself who has the most connection with Russia. All right, let me let me bring in Lovinger's attorney, Sean Bigley, who's with us. And why don't I let you just fill in some of the gaps here? So he just happened upon this information as it relates to Halper. And then he's a whistleblower. He's trying to explain why is this guy getting $2,000 a page and up to a million dollars in payments? And where are these connections to Russia? How do you tie this all together? Sure. So it's a really fascinating story. And, and I think, you know, what Sarah emphasized as far as the, the timeliness and or the timeline of this with uh, you know, Mr. Lovinger uh, and his whistleblower disclosures is really, really important because I think a lot of people at the left are going to look at this and say, oh, this is, you know, a, a political story. It's not. This was a guy who was completely uh, an apolitical actor, uh, Mr. Lovinger. He was a, a civil servant. He was doing his job and he uncovered this stuff. And so for a very long time, for about a year, when we were fighting this case up until the news uh, broke about Mr. Halper earlier this summer, we were really struggling to figure out why the Defense Department was going after him with such a vengeance. And all we could assume, as Sarah referenced, was the fact that this uh, other contractor that he had uh, raised questions about uh, has very close ties to the Clinton family. Uh, As we know from uh, emails uncovered through Judicial Watch, uh, this woman is actually a very close confidant of Hillary Clinton. And so we assumed that that was the reason for the animosity. Well, we now know that there's a lot more to the story, and the pieces of the puzzle are starting to sort of come together. But you know, tie them together to us. What do you think it is that happened? So uh, what we think happened in hindsight is Mr. Halper was essentially being used by the Department of Defense or by the, by the government, by the FBI, uh, as sort of an off-the-books uh, manager of aspiring, if you will. Uh, in essence, he was being paid these extraordinary sums of money to put together uh, what Mr. Lovinger and others have termed college-level research projects, uh, many of which were farmed out to other academics to prepare. 
uh, and uh, turning these things in for you know major paydays, half a million dollars, four hundred thousand dollars, things like that. Uh, and so when you look at you know what he was actually doing versus what he was being paid for on paper, there is a tremendous uh, disconnect and. Simultaneously, he was being sent out to uh, engage with foreign government officials uh, to conduct what Mr. Lovinger felt was foreign relations, which is something he specifically complained about. That is not a, uh, a task that is legally assignable to contractors. And so we believe that Mr. Halper was using these funds that he was given, uh, taxpayer funds by the Department of Defense, to essentially uh, globetrot and develop contacts that he could then pump for information or use as far as uh, influence uh, peddling campaigns. And that was the true purpose of the expenditures. <laughs> Sarah, it's incredible. It, it, it's incredible, Sean, because it's, it's illegal to do that, by the way, to use those type of contractors for foreign po- – I mean, now, whether or not the government had a – black ops type of uh, situation with uh, Halper is is a whole other story, and that would raise questions as to what was really going on here, and I think only Congress can, uh, through through a hearing, can find out the truth. But it's, it's quite stunning, because ironically, Halper himself, according to a number of reports, according to a number of reports, now remember, I have not been able to speak to Halper yet, he hasn't returned my phone calls or my emails, but his uh, his seminar was actually also being funded by Russians. Russians connected, oligarchs connected directly to Putin. I mean, some of that, it wasn't all of the funding, but a, a good sum of money was coming from Russia to help fund these seminars. And remember, in 2016, Halper basically said, yeah, well, I decided to tur- shut down the seminar because I think the Russians are getting too close. Well, the Russians were getting close because apparently Halper himself was inviting them. Well, explain he that. He was basically... Intelligence and was being paid. How was he bringing them in and- and trying to get them close to the 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 Trump campaign at the time. Well, I think for 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 Halper, the he was being utilized, right? So he was actually being utilized by the FBI then to connect with both Carter Page, and he met Carter Page after Carter Page came back from Moscow. Um, Carter Page attended one of his seminars, and just so happens that Halper becomes very friendly with Carter Page, starts reaching out to Carter Page, talks to him about, you know, uh, the, the similar issues about Russia, about intelligence. And Carter Page didn't speak at that seminar. He was just invited as a part of the seminar, but became very close with Halper. And at that time, it was when uh, Halper began asking him a lot of questions, asking him about his relationship with the Russians, trying to gather information on him. It was the same thing that Halper did to George Papadopoulos when uh, Papadopoulos actually became suspicious of, of Halper and how intense he was when he started asking him questions. So what, did the, what do you have to do with the Russians? Uh, what are you getting from them? And Papadopoulos is uh, basically, I was told by his wife, Simona, no, I have nothing to do with them. I mean, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's when I think at that point when um, Papadopoulos started to become concerned about. Is there is there any Sean Bigley evidence to back up and corroborate uh, unsavory contacts, connections and this nefarious nexus you're describing? Here's what we have, Sean. And I think when you look at the, the totality of the picture, it is truly stunning. We have evidence that, uh, and just to back up for a second, obviously we have the 
Trump-Russia collusion, quote-unquote, narrative that has been put out there for now uh, well over a year. And the entire genesis of that essentially was Mr. Halper going to the FBI, apparently, and saying, I've witnessed all these concerning interactions between Trump people and Russians. There's something afoot. And then the FBI gets involved. Well, what we now know is it was a setup. Essentially, Mr. Halper, who was organizing these seminars, invited the Trump people into the lion's den. He invited them mm-hmm. in knowing that his co-convener of these seminars is a noted Putin apologist who spent a decade in the State Academy in Moscow. His co-teacher or co-lead of this seminar was the former head of Russian intelligence. And according to the British press, a good chunk of his seminars were funded by a company that uh, apparently British intelligence has i got to go to a break, but you have a paper trail that confirms all of this? Yes. All mm-hmm. of it. Wow. All of it. All right, stay right there. We'll come back and ask about that when we get back. All right, final moments as we continue with Sarah Carter and Sean Bigley, who is representing Adam Lovinger. All right, we were talking about the paper trail specifically, and I know, Sarah, you have seen a lot of the documents, and I know, Sean, you have a lot of the documents. What will it show, and where will this end? So ultimately, Sean, we believe that this is the complete and utter undermining of this whole Russian Trump collusion narrative because it it completely falls apart. Essentially, um, as I was saying earlier, we have documentary evidence that Mr. Halper invited the Trump officials into his seminars knowing full well that the Russians were present, the Russians were involved, and then later claimed that he was shutting down the seminars because the Russians were infiltrating them. Uh, It doesn't add up. And when you look at the, the context and the totality of the documentation, it becomes very, very clear what happened as far so as... So he set it up and then acted all surprised when it started to get exposed. Exactly. Sarah, last word. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You can't act like the Russians were infiltrating your seminar when you sent them out invitations. And another thing that we don't want to forget about Halper was Halper was also the one that reported to the FBI that Lieutenant General Michael Flynn may have had indiscreet contact or strange contacts with the Russian woman, who, by the way, was at his seminar at a dinner hosted by Halper and Sir Richard Dearlove, the head of MI6, uh, the former head of MI6 at the time, and all of a sudden these rumors spill out all across the uh, disinformation campaign uh, across the media against General Michael Flynn. It, it get- all right, thank you both for being with us. We appreciate it. 800 941 toll-free telephone number. Uh, when we come back, the president gets tough again with uh, little rocket man in North Korea. Straight ahead. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power the likes of which this world has never seen before. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Frankly, uh, the people that were questioning that statement, was it too tough? Maybe it wasn't tough enough. They've been doing this to our country for a long time, for many years. And it's about time that somebody stuck up for the people of this country and for the people of other countries. And what they've been getting away with is a tragedy, and it can't be allowed. If anything happens to Guam, there's going to be big, big trouble in North Korea. If he does anything with respect to Guam or any place else that's an American territory or an American ally, he will truly regret it, and he will regret it fast. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself, 
and for his regime. This shouldn't be handled now, but I'm going to handle it because we have to handle it. Little rocket man, we, we're going to do it because we really have no choice. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. Little rocket man, fire and fury, and my button's bigger than yours, and mine actually works. Anyway, uh, we know that the president on Friday told Mike Pompeo change his plans, a, pre, uh, a prearranged trip that he had with North Korean leaders because the president doesn't feel that enough progress is being made for the conversation to continue at this time. Now, we haven't had any more rockets being fired over Japan. Guam's not being threatened. The rest of the world's not being threatened. Remains have been sent back to the United States. Hostages have been freed. But North Korean state media is accusing the U.S. yesterday of preparing for an invasion. At the same time, they're pursuing a dialogue with the regime with a smile on its face. Joining us now, uh, Colonel Oliver North, host of War Stories. How are you, sir? Good to talk to you. I'm glad to be with you, brother. You know, peace through strength works, and the bottom line is it's not moving fast enough. We made a lot of progress, but um, the progress that really matters is denuclearization of the entire peninsula. Well, and I think what we're seeing is the hand, once again, of President Xi and his Politburo in not so much what's going on in North Korea, but in Beijing. I think the the trade issue that uh, the president has properly addressed with China and they know that they're at a disadvantage in this, both economically and politically. Uh, they've been now diddling us by telling uh, Kim to go slow and by uh, subverting some of the sanctions that have been put in place. Chinese are clearly helping to uh, import illegally, uh, by all reckoning, uh, petroleum reserves and the like and coal into uh, North Korea. And so what you've got is a, is a situation where maximum le- leverage is necessary. I think it was right to tell uh, Secretary of State Pompeo not to go right now. And, and this is not a cancellation of the, of the entire initiative. But try this. When you, when you see the response by the rest of the so-called mainstream media, I'm talking about the other networks, I'm talking about the New York Times, it's kind of like Trump got the wool pulled over his eyes. If he hadn't gone, if he had not even started this initiative, he'd have been blamed for not doing all that was necessary to prevent the potential of a nuclear holocaust. And, of course, now he's doing what has to be done to make it work. Maximum pressure, economic pressure on North Korea, and that requires that both Russia and China cooperate in this thing, and they're not. But the world is not used to a strong America, especially on foreign policy. I mean, well, it, not recently they're not. Well, yeah. and, and that's the point. I mean, for example, we have these one-sided trade deals with everybody, and you're not going to say, pretty please, can we, can we renegotiate trade deals and get a better deal for the country? I mean, when the president announced today that he's terminating NAFTA, announcing a new trade agreement with Mexico— that's good for Mexico and good for the U.S. And we went over the specific details of it earlier. Yeah. And uh, that's good for the country. Same with our Western European allies. I mean, the idea that we pay, you know, 71 cents out of every dollar to protect NATO and that they then put massive tariffs on American products. And the president is saying, how about no tariffs at all for friends? And they encourage the Russians to build a pipeline for natural gas into Western Europe. I mean, look, at they, they got used to the complacency of the previous administration, the blissful naivete of the Obama regime. And what they got used to was good for them and bad for us. We now have a president who's going to stand up for America. He's made it very clear since the day before he got in office, he's still making it clear. And despite all of the attacks on this president, what the end result is, more Americans are at work, 
more Americans are getting increases in pay, more Americans have more take-home because of the tax cuts, and the economic advantages to the United States of doing what he's doing on trade and tariffs is absolutely the right thing. And unfortunately, there's nobody in our, main, in our so-called mainstream media and very few of our allies, Israel is the exception, who agree with what we're doing. Well, it's also every report, every source that I have is we know that the economy of China is in a significant decline. The same would go for Iran. And frankly, if you want to defeat the hostile regime of Russia and beat back Vladimir Putin, you mentioned that earlier, all we need is to figure out the means by which we can get our natural gas and our energy over to Western Europe and at a lower cost than what Putin's offering it for. And not only will it create millions of American jobs, but also it helps in their defense. It would be worth more than whatever amount we're paying for, for NATO defense now. Absolutely right. And, and again, the rest of the, the, the thing that I find to be appalling is the willingness of our media to always strike a pose that no matter what the president does, it's the wrong thing. I'm just, it, it's sickening. It's to the point where you know, many of us have just turned away from reading that kind of stuff and watching it. And thankfully, we've got Fox News. We've got you. We've got Rush. We've got a handful of people. Who are I'm, I'm good for something, you know, Colonel. It's not like, my, you know, not that I've done a whole lot in my life, but I'm good. At least I'm good for something. Well, you got that telling the truth. Thank God you are. Yeah. That's why we call it Hannity's America, buddy. Well, why are, why are they trying? Look, I know they're say, they're not saying it, but we have a list of all the investigations that they'd love to do if the Democrats get back power. But oh gosh, you know, look, yeah. we're we're seventy one days away now. That is a short period of time, and there's a lot at stake. Impeaching the president is definitely on the table for them. Endless investigations. They want their crumbs back. They want open borders. They want to keep Obamacare. And they want all of the abuse of power scandals we've exposed to just go away because it benefited them. Well, look, uh, tens of millions of dollars are being expended by Bloomberg, by Steyer, by Soros. That whole crowd out to do one thing, take control of the House of Representatives and impeach the president. They, they, you know, Nancy Pelosi says, oh, don't let's downplay that because it scares the love and daylights out of people. But that's clearly what the objective is here. And if that happens... Katie barred the door on all kinds of things to include a stronger America. That, mm -hmm. I mean, look, at my whole life has been spent trying to defend this country against our foreign adversaries. Unfortunately, we've got a very powerful cabal that's lined up against this president with the idea of bringing him down. And I have no doubt that if there's a significant gain in the House of Representatives, there will be a motion to impeach. There will be a process by which they go through to do that because we can't stop it anymore. And unfortunately, that also means that initiatives like denuclearization of a very dangerous regime in North Korea will stop that. Well, at the very least, they feel like they can paralyze the president for the two years leading up to 2020, because I don't well, see it. But the thing is, you do need some. You know, and I think Mueller's working on this. I think Mueller's end game is to write a document, the Mueller report, which will be for the Democrats should they win in 71 days. It'll be a roadmap to impeaching Donald Trump. Yep. And that's why this turnout is going to be so very important in 71 well, days. Well, what's your feel? What's your gut tell you? I don't I don't have a handle on it yet. I mean, one thing that was pretty amazing is even a Democratic pollster and polling firm, you know, admitted over the weekend that despite, uh, you know, weeks and weeks worth of so-called bombshell developments and Robert Mueller's, yeah. quote, investigation, the president's 
approval rating remains, quote, remarkably stable. Well, and, you know, I, I just remind everybody when I, you know, I've been flying all over the country. And what I'm looking at is people who say to me, you know, I don't like some of the things he's done, but he's far better than the alternative. And, and that was so misjudged in the last election. Remember, right up until dark on, on, on election day in 2016, everybody said he can't win. I got, I mean, listen, I, I got the exit polls. It showed he didn't win a thing. Yeah. It showed he won nothing. You know, just like John Kerry was going to be the next president in 04. The exit yeah. polls showed the same thing then. Yep. So my hope is that the pollsters that are doing the polling right now have missed that again. And so 71 days from now, my hope and my prayer is that the American people give a vote of confidence. What do you think it is? What do you think it is, though? Obviously, the economy's turned around. Obviously, He's keeping his promises. He's doing everything he'd say that he'd do for the American people. Conservative judges. He's gotten rid of the bureaucracy. He's gotten rid of endless regulation. We've gotten tax cuts. We're moving towards energy independence. He's tough on Russia uh, than Obama ever dreamed of. And he's... And Iran and North Korea. And Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. He's done the right things. And that's what my hope is. The American people are going to look at that over the next 70 days and on the 71st day, they're going to pull a lever that puts in office people who will support his administration in the House of Representatives. I don't. I think the Senate's safe. At least everything I see it. Yeah, so. it looks like it, but I don't take anything for granted. I'm not. No, neither do I. And you got to remember, if I knew so much about politics, you and I'd be having this conversation in my U.S. Senate office. So. You, well, how many votes? How many votes did you lose by? <laughs> It wasn't many. Not many. It was a three-way race, and I lost by about two percent. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. pretty close. The, way, the Republican Party didn't didn't stand up and back their candidate. Well, I John think Warner, the, John the Warner. Senior, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. well. That's what happens. Uh, you know, the the reality of it better not happen this time, because people are going to point the finger at those who undid this wonderful opportunity for a safer, sounder America. What are your thoughts on John McCain? Well, look at John McCain was a war hero. John McCain was a senator for, what, five terms, and a congressman before that. There's no doubt he devoted himself to our country, and there's no doubt that John McCain very often did things that were, I think, incorrect or wrong. You know, his stand on some of those things that we talked about over the years that we've been at Fox together, I just, you know, for the life of me, can't figure out why, why he came down the way he did. Unfortunately, John, John McCain was, was a very powerful figure in many ways in, in the U.S. Senate. And the, the reality of it is John Warner's no longer here. And let's hope that the governor appoints somebody after John's interred at the Naval Academy Cemetery, that the governor appoints a, a good, solid Republican who's going to stand with the party and stand with the president. That's the best we can hope for. Listen, I, you know, I was very honest. I mean, we had massive political disagreements. I never regretted supported, supporting him in 08, and I got to know him and his family pretty well. Yeah. And uh, there, I'm, I, I, obviously, it's hard to lose uh, a father and yeah. a husband. And, yeah, he served with, with yeah. courageous, right. you know, yep. his, his story about Vietnam and, and five years POW, it's inspiring. Uh, well, and, and the fact is that he could have come home earlier than he did, but he chose to stay with the rest of his comrades and come, on, come home all together. You're right. And I, I, I just can't help but admire that. You have and to. By the definition of the word hero, that is a hero, a person who puts himself at risk for the benefit of others. All right. You've always been such a person, too. Colonel North, great to talk to you. Thanks for being with great us. Great to be with you, brother. All just right. Remember. Safe home. Appreciate you. 800 941 
All right, as we continue on, 800-941-SHAWN, you want to be a part of the program at the top of the next hour. Congressman Daryl Issa, Bruce Orr's appearance before Congress tomorrow coming up. Donna is in Staten Island. Donna, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good. What's happening? Well, you know, this whole thing with uh, Senator McCain and his, you know, his passing, um, I'm not going to bash him. I, I don't like to do that to uh, the dead, but I'm not going to praise him either. And I think that this whole thing of not allowing Trump to come to the wake, but meanwhile Obama is going to deliver a eulogy, that kind of tells me all I need to know. Listen, that's his choice. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham actually said something to me recently. I, I don't think he said he actually thinks he's very close with McCain, that, you know, there are some personality traits that are very similar. Um, John McCain made his decision. He hates Trump. They didn't like each other. You don't have to like everybody in, in this life, in this world. Um, I, I do admire what John McCain did for the service of his country. I disagreed with John's politics. Um, I don't care, to be honest with you, that when he came back to the Senate floor, you know, he said to hell with them talking about talk radio hosts and cable TV hosts. Maybe I took it personally and I shouldn't have. But um, it's neither here nor there. You know, I like to look at the good in somebody's life when they pass on. And I just think talking about them in a bad way is unseemly. Uh, I admire his heroism to his country. And he had an amazing life of service. And, you know, to think that five years he had bones broken, was beaten and and didn't acquiesce and didn't capitulate to the enemy at the time. I can't imagine how hard that would be for any human being. And so I admire all of that about him. And actually, you know, at times we got along great. And I think he was thankful for the support that I showed him in his campaign in 2008 and going against Barack Obama. I don't regret one second of it. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, the, it, look, it wasn't going to happen that year. That's just the way it is. And you don't win them all, sadly. Uh, and I pray for his family today. They're, they've got, they're devastated and they're hurting. They don't need any more pain from anybody on the outside, in my humble opinion. And he has a right to do his funeral any way he wants. Judge, I, I wanted to make a point about what, what, what Greg mm-hmm. just said. Rod Rosenstein won't tell us when he first learned that Nellie Orr was working for Fusion GPS. So I want to know from Bruce Orr, when did he tell his colleagues at the Department of Justice that in violation of the law that required him to disclose his wife's occupation right. and her sources of income, he did not do that. And so when did all the other people at the Department of Justice find this out? Because Rod Rosenstein, I've asked him twice in open hearing, and he will not give an answer. I think <laughs> There's a real smoking gun there. I say it. I say it again. That whole situation is a rigged witch hunt. It's a totally rigged deal. They should be looking at the other side. They should be looking at all the people that got fired by them. All of the people that got fired, they should be looking at Bruce Orr and his wife, Nellie, for dealing with, by the way, indirectly Russians. They should be looking at Steele. They should be looking at all these FBI guys who got fired and demoted. Uh, it's a really weird, it's, it's not us. It is a rigged witch hunt. I've said it for a long time. I think Bruce Orr is a disgrace. I suspect I'll be taking it away very quickly. I, I think that Bruce Orr is a disgrace with his wife, Nellie. 
For him to be in the Justice Department and to be doing what he did, that is a disgrace. That is disqualifying for Mueller. And Mr. Mueller has a lot of conflicts also, directly yourself, so you know that. Mr. Mueller is highly conflicted. In fact, uh, Comey is like his best friend. I could go into conflict after conflict. But sadly, Mr. Mueller is conflicted. But let him write his report. We did nothing. There's no collusion. But if he was doing an honest report, he'd write it on the other side. Because when you look at criminality and you look at problems, take a look at what they did, including colluding with the Russians, the other side. It's got to be so frustrating to know that all of these misdeeds had taken place with all the evidence, with all of the people now fired or demoted in the case of Bruce Orr twice. Yeah, he never did disclose where his wife got the income from. We know that's Fusion GPS that used the funneled uh, money from Clinton and the DNC through Perkins Coie, the law firm, uh, to in fact build the dossier using a foreign agent. And then even that foreign agent doesn't stand by the dossier, but that doesn't stop people from using it to lie to, propagandize and spread disinformation to the American people to sway votes in the lead up to an election. And nor did it stop them as using it for a FISA warrant application, not just the initial application, but three subsequent applications. And Rod Rosenstein himself signing off on the last one. Anyway, Bruce Orr is uh, going to be hearing in a closed door, uh, appearing in a closed door session with the House uh, Government Reform Oversight Committee tomorrow. And here with a preview of it all is Congressman Darrell Issa. Congressman, how are you? Sean, I'm doing great. I will tell you, never, never in my six years of, of heading the Oversight Committee have I seen a more easy-to-follow series of wrongdoing that takes you from the Russians and uh, Fusion GPS and Chris, uh, Christopher Steele and the, the fake dossier all the way to trying to defeat the president, and then after the election, this becoming part of the insurance policy that created the environment in which a special prosecutor was produced by a man, Rod Rosenstein, who has is part of this swamp that created this false narrative. The, the lines are so clear, we simply have to get each of these individuals under oath. Tomorrow it will be Bruce Orr, uh, who will have to answer for things that Peter Strzok even Peter Strzok admitted uh, that Bruce Orr was in the middle of. Well, the, the irony of all of this is now we have more information as uh, we now understand that there's some 70 at least contacts, both before and after the election, between Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele. One time Steele is concerned about Senator Grassley's letter and the inquiry in that particular case. He's afraid that, as Christopher Steele says, he's going to be implicated in all of this. Uh, Steele talks about trying to re-engage with the FBI. The FBI, this is in June of 2017, they had already fired him. We're frustrated with how long this re-engagement with the Bureau and Mueller is taking. Anything you can do to accelerate the process would be much appreciated. There are some new perishable operational opportunities which we don't want to miss out on. And then, of course, the one that we spent a lot of time uh, talking about, just saw a leak in the media about the Bureau handing over documents to Congress about my work and my relationship with them. Very concerned about this. People's lives may be endangered. And then he was asking two days before Comey testified whether or not the firewalls would hold or says that everything pretty much is a go and no change from before. And then he mentioned that he's afraid he may get exposed. So, I mean, 
what does all of that mean to you? Because it, I know what it means to me. What it means is the largest conspiracy perhaps ever, but if not ever, at least since Watergate, is being little by little exposed. One that goes from Hillary Clinton to the DNC, after they did away with Bernie Sanders through their misconduct, they turned their attention to Donald Trump and they produced false information. But unlike the plumbers, uh, for those that didn't know the history, the, 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 the folks that broke into the uh, under, during uh, Watergate, this was a government operation. They used private money at the DNC to create an environment in which they were able to leverage the awesome power and authority of the federal government to begin spying and making Donald Trump look less loyal to his country, more involved with Russia, when in fact nothing could be further from the truth, at least based on any and all evidence till today. And it's been an awful lot of they're looking for something that isn't there. I keep hearing that if we ever got a look at the unredacted final FISA application, if we ever got a copy of the, the 302s, uh, specifically involved in the engagement of, of specific individuals, if everything was ever released, that the whole thing would come crumbling down. Do you believe that to be true? Do you know that to be true? I believe it to be true, and I believe the American people in this case, at the insistence of the president, have an absolute right to know whether that's true or not. It's amazing to me that the Department of Justice, under Attorney General Jeff Sessions, cannot seem to stop their old habit of thwarting Congress. Under Obama, we understood why. They were working for their boss. Now, in fact, they're working by definition against what their own leaders are saying they want, which is full transparency. They're not even giving partial transparency. And as you know, the Speaker of the House is third in line to the presidency. Obviously, Mike Pence, second in line, and then the president. The fact is, they're not even being given the whole truth. And that's well, I'd like the to know, like draining the swamp. Don't we know that Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS was, and again, Christopher Steele, when put under oath in Great Britain in an interrogatory with the threat of perjury hanging over his head, said, "I this is all raw intelligence. I don't know if anything in this dossier is true." But do we know that if he that he in fact went to the American media? to propagate these lies, to influence an American election with things that he never verified? In other words, before filing the FISA, was this misinformation being being used to hurt then-candidate Trump to help Hillary Clinton, a document she paid for based on Russian lies? Did they cover that up? Everything I have seen behind closed doors indicates the answer is yes, that in fact, Christopher Steele's job wasn't just to create a fake dossier. It was also to get it to the media as many times as it took so that they could then say the media had reported so they then could use it further as though it was evidence. In other words, like the Michael Isikoff Yahoo story, it came from Steele. So while the bulk of the information for the application came from the dossier, then they say, see, even the media is reporting it. But the source for Michael Isikoff's article was Christopher Steele. It's circular reporting. It's circular reporting. And, and it's just like somebody who tells somebody gossip. And then when that gets to somebody else, they then use it as a source. Except in this case, it was used to gain FISA warrants. It was used to disparage the president. It was used to create an environment in which the attorney general recused himself and allowed a special prosecutor to, to be created by none other than Rod Rosenstein, who is part of that, in fact, pre-election conspiracy. 
If you tie Bruce Orr, his deep friendship and working relationship with Christopher Steele, and I assume, you know, that would also include Glenn Simpson or at least somebody from Fusion GPS and then his wife working at Fusion GPS. Do we know for sure she worked on this phony dossier? You know, we don't know that yet. Uh, what we do know is Fusion GPS is not that large of an organization. Uh, and the coincidence of her being there leaves little doubt. But, Sean, uh, Hannity, I want to give you one thing that your listeners need to hear. And that is that in any conspiracy like this, the vast majority of communication occurs in person or possibly over the phone. Remember, we don't have any phone calls. We don't have any personal communication. We have probably the tip of the iceberg, 5% or less of the communication. Most of it, including with Nellie, uh, Bruce Orr's wife, probably occurred in person one-to-one or over the phone. And that's one of the challenges is we're connecting the dots when, in fact, most of the material was done very cleverly, as they like to say, over the transom, meaning the way spies communicate in a way that can't easily be traced. What else is there that would be available as it relates to the Gang of Eight that would support and prove this narrative to be true if the president were to declassify such? Well, first of all, once we have sort of the openness of this information, then the voters and, and the America will know most of what they need to know to make a decision once and for all on Hillary Clinton and the false narrative that somehow the president was the one dealing in, in uh, if you will, Russian collusion or anything of this sort. The second part and the, the more important part is that many of these individuals in a real investigation, if we had a special prosecutor, as the president believes we should, we would be looking at at records of phone calls, we'd be finding those communications. We might not know the content, but at least we'd know how many times a phone call went between people and begin to connect the dots there, probably leading, if you will, not just to Christopher Steele, but then to the people he was involved in, which could be the Russians. Wow. I mean, it's unbelievable. So basically everything that we've been told is not true. What do you make of what Mueller has done here? I mean, he, he, it seems like he went out of his way to um, indict former KGB guys, Russian intelligence people. And we know that they're never going to come to the U.S. or be extradited in any way. So that's a waste of time. We know he he mentioned these Russian bot companies and now a couple of them are fighting back and he doesn't even want to provide them discovery. Why do I think that is going nowhere? And really, the essence of the investigation is now moved on to uh, loan applications, tax returns. And uh, and the such of Paul Manafort and Michael Cohn. And there's nothing to do with Russia, the president, the campaign or collusion of any type. Well, uh, what we need to get from Mueller, we're not going to get. We need equal justice. But he has very carefully said it's outside his purview. And that was created by Rod Rosenstein. Well, wait a minute. How could it be outside of his purview? But Paul Manafort's loan applications from before he ever knew Trump is within his purview. You're exactly right. Hannity, you're exactly right. But what he's been doing is carefully saying, I can't go back toward Hillary. That's not within my four square, which is the reason that if Jeff Sessions would do what Jeff Sessions should do and any good attorney general would do is appoint a separate prosecutor to go that. But why won't he do it? Look, I sometimes when you see someone freeze like the deer in the headlights of an oncoming car, you can't explain why somebody would do something. I have been so disappointed that the attorney general has neither 
called foul with the investigation he's seen, nor insisted on the other investigation. But the first step that the attorney general had to do, and I am here today calling on Jeff Sessions, who I worked with when he was a senator, to make sure the documents Congress has asked for are delivered in an unredacted way or resign. Pick, make, a, make a decision. Deliver the documents pursuant to lawful uh, interest of Congress or resign. Well, it seems like it's heading hopefully in that direction. All right. Thank you, sir, for being with us. Uh, we'll watch uh, very closely tomorrow. Daryl Issa, 800-941-SHAWN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. Let's say hi to Karen in California. Karen, hi. How are you? You're on the Sean Hannity Show. Hi, Sean. It's so nice to be able to talk to you. I watch you every single evening, and I tape it, and I watch it sometimes twice, and I just want to thank you for what you're doing for the country, for our president, and for promoting the truth of what's going on. Wow, you're really nice. Thank you very much. Well, to see, there are still sensible people in California. Um, I'm beginning to worry. I mean, this is the sanctuary state now. This is the state with 13.5% state income tax where no Republican, I think, has a chance of winning, at least in the foreseeable future. But there are some important congressional races out there, Karen. If we win those, that's probably going to be a game changer in 71 days. Well, we have to do something to change California and make her go red again, like she did with Reagan. And uh, we've got to do it. We have to do it. If you have any ideas. (laughs) Yeah, for people to open their eyes and realize that the state is being destroyed by the likes of Gavin Newsom. And uh, Jerry Brown. I think that's that's the perfect answer. But I'm going to count on you, Karen. We'll deputize you to go out there and help us in 71 days. 800-941-SHAWN, toll-free telephone number. When we come back, Dr. Francis E. Jensen, professor, department chair of neurology at the Perlman School of Medicine, author of a New York Times bestseller, The Teenage Brain. And uh, by the way, why do we have all these violent school shootings, et cetera, with these kids? What's going on in their heads? Hopefully she'll shed some light in to all of that next. 25 till the top of the hour. Thanks for being with us. Jacksonville, Florida Sheriff Michael Williams speaking after the deadly shooting that took place over the weekend in Jacksonville, Florida, during a gaming event at a popular shopping center in Jacksonville, killing two people, wounding several others before the gunman killed himself. Uh, gunfire heard around 1 p.m., At a video gaming event, Jacksonville Landing, Madden NFL Championship Series. And uh, in addition to the two killed, 11 people were injured, nine of them with gunshot wounds. Uh, I mean, just sad. But we keep hearing about all of these kids and all of these shooting incidences. And rather than, you know, make it an argument, the predictable argument about guns and guns and guns, etc., I don't think it's necessarily going to be a gun if somebody wants to kill somebody or is having impulses to kill somebody. They're going to probably find a way to do it. Um, And what is going on with our kids? Is it related in any way? You know, do we have answers to what is going on, the psychology, the psychiatry behind all of this? Dr. Francis E. Johnson, professor, department of uh, chair of neurology at the Perlman School of Medicine and at the University of Pennsylvania, also New York Times bestseller, book called The Teenage Brain. And uh, welcome, uh, you're a well-known neuroscientist and world-renowned. And um, what is going on in these kids' brains that causes this? Well, thanks for um, having me on, and I um, I hope I can help uh, shed some light Um So there's been a lot of science in the last, uh, say, 15 years, two decades, 
uh, that is really revealing a lot about how our brain development develops and that the teenage brain and the late uh, teenager, early 20s is not yet adult. In fact, the brain is the most complex organ and it doesn't fully develop to about 30 years of age. And what we're understanding, two big things that might be relevant here um, related to the, uh, to the adolescent and young adult brain. First of all, your brain areas are specialized and there's parts of your brain that are um, really built for risky, risk-taking, emotionality, sexuality, rage, all those emotional things in a part of your brain called the limbic system. But you also have a part of your brain called the frontal lobe, which is executive control, decision-making, judgment, empathy, impulse control, organization. Those are kind of what we consider our executive functions. That part of the brain, the frontal lobe, is not as full. The connections to that part of, their brain, that of the brain are not as mature yet um, until mid to late 20s. So the connection... By the way, especially for boys, don't girls' brains mature sooner? Yes. Exactly. So science is showing that on average, now on average, they're early boys and late girls, they're about two years difference at least between, um, you know, on the maturational scale, scale of when you reach full maturity. So what in the adolescent period and early, you know, adulthood, we have brains that have, um, are very emotionally charged because the emotional parts of the brain are um, functioning very well. But the frontal lobe connections back to those um, areas are not as fully developed as they will be in adults. So impulse control or thinking through things, organization or cause and effect are not going to be ready at, you know, in, in the split second uh, judgments that um, adults can make. Adolescents are not. So how long? I mean, I'm a parent of a soon to be 20 year old and, and soon to be 17 year old. And I'm thinking, great, lucky me. I'm in the worst of it. Am I not? <laughs> well, it's a very exciting time because the other part not that exciting it, for dad, I can tell you that. <laughs> right. So um, there's there are very many good things about this part of development is they they need to be exploring. So in a way, our brains are built probably so that you do go out and take some risks under you know under moderate conditions. But your brain can learn faster in this window, and actually your IQ can change in your teen years, science has now shown. So it's a time when you're building better connections between your brain cells, which are called neurons. They have connections called synapses. You actually can build synapses faster and you know, stronger in this age window. Now, the, uh, down, the good side of that is that they can learn fast, but the downside is that they can get um, they can learn bad things fast in this window too. So addiction, actually, we've learned neuroscience has now shown it's simply a form of learning. So when people get addicted to drugs or even video games, for instance, it's using this reward circuit and creating um, connections at a much higher rate and much stronger. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, my 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 son in particular, you know, spends a a ton of time playing Xbox. Now he plays everything from Madden football, NBA games, Call of Duty. I mean, they play it all. And right. um, I don't, I'd, I'd rather have him playing Xbox than going out drinking and hanging out with kids that are in trouble or whatever else they might be doing. Sure. So they become experts of video games a lot faster than adults do because they can learn a lot. Yeah, it's annoying. He, he doesn't even have the patience to teach me how to get the first base on these things. Like, oh, dad, oh I'll do it. I'll do it. That's right. That's right. And, and of course, we as parents look at them and, and just marvel at that, but then can't understand why they go ahead and do things that, you know, we would say are obvious not to do. And that's why we call these, you know, teenagers 
sort of Ferraris with weak brakes. The, the brakes meaning their frontal lobes, but their brains are very, very active. So they need us as adults to, we have our frontal lobes in place and connected fully, and we have to be sort of give them a frontal lobe assist, if you will, from time to time. And that goes on an individual basis, but I think, you know, across society, we need to think about this rather tender age where they are very impressionable, they learn super fast for good and bad things, and yet their ability to um, d- decision-make is, is not what You're, it you're not be. giving me any hope at all. I mean, you're basically <laughs> saying, sorry, your kids' brains are underdeveloped as it re- relates to impulse control, and it's going to be that way until probably they're 25. Thanks a lot. That's not what I wanted to hear. So what you would like to hear is that you can teach them how to be under better control. Well, that would assume that they listen to me. And, you know, they might hear me, but they don't listen. So one of the big messages that we are giving now about for parents and and everybody in general who interacts with teenagers is to be mindful of they are not adults with fewer miles on them. And so we have to kind of have that insight when you're relating to, um, to a teenager. And I always say, you know, if, if possible, try not to alienate oneself from a teenager because then they really won't listen to you. If you well, why that. can't they just follow the simple rules I lay out for them and not break the rules? Well, you know, when you actually go through the process and role play with them, they you do a lot role play as, as a teaching, you know, as you can teach My, them. Wait, wait, hold, slow down. I can go back to when I was being raised. You know, there was no role playing except my father. I did something wrong. He took off his belt. He beat the crap out of me. Now, I've never done that to my own kids, but that was the extent of role-playing in the home I grew up in. Well, you know, our our um, experience as teenagers, you know, X number of years ago, is very different to the very challenging environment that our teenagers are in. Now, teenage brains have been the exact same brains for the last, you know, millennia. But That's what I'm afraid of. His teenage brain is exactly the way my teenage brain was, and that's not good for anybody. So... Um, the issue is the environment around the teenagers is offering them a lot more um, risks to take, if you will. And we have to kind of think about that. Like, what what do they have, you know, at the ready that they may or may make not make good decisions about how accessible are, you know, drugs, weapons, all these other things in the environment, knowing that they have, you know, this propensity for um for uh, impulsivity. Another thing that I think we need to think about in the teenage, a lot of people, it's news to them, is that mental illness um, is actually a develop, is, is largely developmental in that, you know, one in four to one in five people in our country have uh, some form of mental illness ranging from something mild like anxiety all the way up to, you know, a more serious disease like bipolar or schizophrenia, psychosis. And it's interesting that though the time when these diseases, these disorders come on, is in late teens and early adulthood because they require a certain amount of brain development, meaning to your frontal lobes, to actually fully um, manifest. So one of the issues is that about 75% of people who have mental illness have their onset between 16 and 26 years of age. And I think that we, now that we have this science that shows us that and why that's happening, we might want to think about screening people. We screen for colon cancer in 50-year-old plus, breast cancer, prostate cancer. Well, if you would have examined me when I was 17, I could tell you right now, I would have been off the charts, you know, lock them up. (laughs) Well, I think you... You, you may um, have proven that wrong, but... Um, well, I, I mean, my mother used to say it was either going to be prison or success. There'd be no in-between, so... Well, I think in structured environments for kids, 
learning environments are really important this winter. Remember I said your IQ can change in your teen years. And so you're setting this person up, you know, basically with scaffolding for the, for the more eloquent parts of their brain are being built in the teen years. So in other and words, you're basically saying we need to put a trampoline and a net underneath them because they're <laughs> going to fall through it in all likelihood. Well, they're not... Did you, right did you did you did you not do anything wrong when you were a teenager? I mean, I was in we trouble. We all did wrong things. I think what. We but I don't think ask... you were as incorrigible as I am. <laughs> I uh, believe me. I I know of many people that survived through this window. I do think though that you're going to get extreme cases um, where things go extremely wrong, and most people will through trial and error. Now, trial and error is exactly that. You know, your brain is learning by making small mistakes, hopefully small and not. What is the worst thing you did as a teenager with, you know, when your brain wasn't fully developed? I'm going to take the fifth on that, but I would say. Oh, come on. What's the worst thing you did? I don't think you ever got in any trouble. I can tell you I did. (laughs) So I think that people um, in this window are we, we couldn't we shouldn't be too surprised when kids do get in trouble. And that's what I say to parents is that, um, you know, to be a little bit more understanding and not alienate your kid because then you aren't going to be able to sort of work them out of, you know, help them reason their way out of situations or to learn new skills to not go there again. Um, And that, I think, is very important. Yeah. Well, well, what about on a serious note, all these kids that play these, say, violent video games or see violent movies, do you think it impacts them negatively or you know, kids understand well, we that-, know that we know that our brain, we have, we have something called plasticity, our synapses, we call it plastic because they're moldable by experience. So, yes, we are very uh, we know in earlier parts of childhood that if you are exposed to a stressful event, that you um, actually can suffer consequences as a result of that. There is yeah. emerging evidence the same in adolescence. One thing that is very interesting um, uh, from what I was saying about the fact that they're um, emotional parts of their brain, their limbic system is is sort of connected up before several years ahead of when their frontal lobe finishes its full connections. Is that when you, you show um, a teenager an emotionally charged um, scene and you're measuring their brain function, they actually show uh, almost twice as much activity in their uh, limbic system as does an adult shown the exact same stressful scene. So we know that they're more vulnerable to the effects of stress and certainly they're picking it up they're experiencing, um, you know, emotion, I always say, in technicolor to our black and white. So we have to realize that this is sort of a highly emotional period of, of sort of responsivity in this age group and that that will pass. But it is managing the environment. Um, and All right. you know, I think you're giving us a lot of good tools as it relates to helping kids. It's just scary to be a parent out there. There's so many bad influences uh, doctor, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. And then next time you can tell us all the horrible things you did when you were a teenager. No. So remember, knowledge is power. And um, as parents and, and teachers and counselors understand and learn this new brain science of what we're. Well, when did you when did you when do you think your frontal lobe kicked in where well, you were acting rationally completely? <laughs> I think we're all getting there in our 20s. I think you see a lot of changes of people who need to take gap years, people who need to, you know, reorganize themselves. It's a very, very active time. And as I said, the brain isn't done yet until you're, you know, close to 30, which is, 
it's it's actually can be a very positive message. I don't think Linda, our producer's brain, is fully formed because she's, <laughs> she says anything that comes into her head. It's funny. I was just thinking the same thing about you. She has major. You act like a 16-year-old boy. She has major <laughs> impulse control when it comes to using cuss words. I'll tell you that. No, I, any, think, I think hard and long about which ones there, I'll use. You're is, welcome. Is there any medicine you can give her or offer her? She's on my side. You're going to lose this one. No, one, and one last thing I would say um, just about another little piece of information that often is relevant for people is that, no. you know, peer pressure effects are very, very strong in this window. I agree. So, so kids and should not have any friends at all. I agree. Keep them away from their friends. Sorry about, you know, the effects of, you know, social media in terms of bringing, bringing social isolation or, or actually the wrong social context into the lives of these, of kids. So I think there's a, you know, there's a huge amount we kind of have to think about as a, as parents and the society around teenagers, because, you know, sometimes you worry that people sort of are playing with fire when they're on. All right. I'm up on a hard break. We thank you, Dr. Jensen. Appreciate you being with us. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. I hope that helps. As it relates to, you know, what's going on inside your kids' brains, it's scary. All right, Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. By the way, Lindsey Graham will be uh, a special guest tonight. The great one, Mark Levin, Andy McCarthy, and Alan Dershowitz, Greg and Sarah, and Congressman Mark Meadows. All coming up, 9 Eastern tonight, Hannity on the Fox News Channel. Set your DVR. We'll see you then, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.